Good afternoon. This is Zan. And this is Belchan. Hey, we're here for the culinary manga panel, so we're going to have the audio from that. Welcome, welcome. Yep. So, what do you know about culinary manga, Bell? Nothing? No, not really, actually. Yes, because most people don't think of comic books as making, well, cooking stuff, but it's kind of cool. They have a lot of series which are based around cooking. Well, you heard the last segment. We talked a lot about, well, random stuff like mahjong, statistics, golf, a lot of unusual things. So this is more, well, on the culinary side of things. I think that um, there are a lot of mangas that maybe they don't focus on cooking, but they have elements of like cooking in it, like... Oh, this is a new um, a new dish. What was the one with the octopus? Oh, the oh, no, uh, sorry, the uh, takoyashi. Yeah, the takoyashi. Well, these are well, yeah. Last series introduced a lot of different types of food that we eat, but this is more like actually like stuff besides yakitake Japan, which is about a guy who wants to be the world's greatest. Well, create a, a bread for Japan, the official Japan. So we'll see what's going on. Should be interesting. Should be kind of fun. And, well, hopefully we're recognized by someone, because I had one fan yesterday recognize me. Really? Who? I don't know. Some guy just said, hey, you're the Wheel of Manga guy, right? It was like, holy <laughs> shit, you know who I am. That's funny. Yes, very true. So, either way, I'll pause for a moment so we can charge, the ba- keep the battery safe, and then we'll record. See you guys in a bit. Go. Now it is, 
I don't know why Biz looked deep into my brain and decided that Oishinbo is the best thing they could publish. I, feel, I, I don't know, probably me and some food critics who work for newspapers probably bought it. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Sam has some experience working with food that I don't. Um, when I was 12, I started working at a restaurant as a busser, and we got more and more popular to the point where I had to learn how to cook. So for, I'd say six years, but it's really like four, I was a chef in a small restaurant. So sandwiches, breakfast foods, salads, catering, all that business. And I just got asked to start at a local bakery in Boston, Massachusetts, where I live. If any of you are from there, it's Flower Bakery. But the, uh... So this panel is kind of a combination of two previous panels that I've done. Uh, there's a panel called Unusual Manga Genres that I did last night, and I had a section on just food manga that was part of that panel, but it was getting too long, so I split it off into its own thing. And last year, this year at Anime Boston, we did um, we tried to make some recipes that we got in manga to see what would happen, and so we're going to share kind of the photographic results. I bake these things. I'm not an expert cook. I'm still kind of a beginner or like an intermediate kind of person. And Noah doesn't cook at all, but he did taste many of the, ex the experimental dishes. And I'm an expert taster. <laughs> Not at all. Okay, so here are some of the... What? I'm not... Okay, so here are some... Uh, to, these are some of the manga that we're going to be talking about, especially in the cooking portion of the panel. Oishinbo, uh, which is very long, ongoing, like 100-some volumes in Japan. Viz pulled different stories by theme, and put out like seven volumes of compilation, and I think I'm going to go over a bunch of them later. Iron Walk John is kind of running out of print, but you can always find used copies in dealer's rooms like this one. I recommend, pick, I, it can sort of be read out of order, so you can just pick up any volume and get into the utter wackiness. It was published by DR Master, and I think they've gone out of business, maybe, but you can find it on their website. You can usually get five or six bucks a volume for that one. Yakitate Japan is ongoing and still coming out. It's about competitive bread baking. We'll get to that in a minute more. Uh, Addicted to Curry is not available at Translate yet, but maybe it should be. And uh, Kitchen Princess is complete. It's from Delray Manga, uh, who are now something funny is happening with Delray. But anyway, it's a great series, and you should really, it's only like 10 or 11 volumes long, or 13. I should have written this kind of thing down. Okay. Competitive baking manga. Yakutate Japan. Azuma Kazuma wants to be the greatest chef, like, not chef, he wants to be the greatest bread baker in the world. He has this power that his hands are unusually warm. At first they call it solar hands, and it causes bread dough to rise, and it so it gives him a competitive edge. Um, and it's a kind of regular shonen jump type story about being the best baker in Japan. So here's some humorous, it's a gag panel, and it's a gag manga, so I love this panel on the right. Like, when I get bigger I'll become a master baker, and I will crush you with my skills! That's the sort of thing we're talking about with Yakutate Japan. This is his boss, the shirtless afro guy on the other side. So, in Yakitate Japan, when people taste things, they have really funny reactions. They turn into things. They turn into things, they do a crab dance, crazy things happen. They die. They, they, they turn into things. This is one of the uh, judges, after tasting one of the breads, peacock plumes just shoot out of his mask. It's crazy. This guy dies after uh, <laughs> He's one of the judges. He's eating a bread so incredibly delicious that he dies for like 10 minutes. I die. Sometimes the competitors are really weird, like this guy who wears a koala mask. Um, and what I really love is some of the really like ridiculous setups of the series. Like the next competition venue, like have they already played out? You know, Kitchen Stadium. The next competition venue is Mexico. I will destroy the Japanese representatives in a 4,900 foot deep pit water cave. Actually, it's the French team trying to kill the Japanese team, and they just drop them in a really deep cave in Mexico. But the, uh, the judge who's sent with them decides that they will still continue on with the competition and they're going to make bread out of the blind cave fish. 
here's how the description of how you know fish cake, <laughs> fish cake is kind of made out of different kinds of sea creatures and whatever. So they do make their fish bread anyway. So we tried to make some bread from Yakitate Japan. Uh, in an early episode in the show, they give you like they give those little live action segments at the end where they talk about like how here you two can make rice maker bread at home. Rice maker bread turns out to be incredibly difficult. Um, our friend from the Reverse Thieves podcast uh, tried to make this first to several horrifying attempts. So getting the ingredients right is exactly really important with bread. I mean, I think Sam can talk about this too. But there's another really important component, and I'm going to fly through a lot of these because we have a lot of slides. It's that a lot of uh, rice makers like are not really meant to be continually on. They sort of turn off automatically once the rice has absorbed the water, and like the weight causes the spring to sort of go up. So you have to force the rice maker to stay on, which sort of voids your warranty and might catch your rice maker on fire. Anyway, like the reverse thieves guy, he managed to burn one side really good, and the middle was still raw. Um, and then he kind of like baked the rest of it in a, like a press in the George Foreman grill. The result was not very edible. So I tried it, and I read another web page about like the WikiHow thing about how to make rice cooker bread, and it gives the same warning that I was talking about. But I have a really cute Hello Kitty rice maker that like. I, that was really hard to find and kind of expensive on eBay, so I didn't really want to catch it on fire, so I was really worried about making this. So I followed the recipe from the show, got the Easter eyes, and it was sort of working for a while. But in the end, it's just it's kind of raw in the middle, and I didn't want to like die of whatever food poisoning, so I tried to cook the results on a cookie sheet, and then I burn it, and it was really today's mission. Like Excel saga. Okay. Um, so we talked to uh, the editor of Yakutate Japan from Viz Media about like the st have the, had their staff try to make recipes from the books, and they haven't made specific ones. Uh, read the book. I haven't made specific recipes from the books mostly because they're kind of complex and esoteric, and I'm not really a great cook. But I have found that I crave certain foods based on the volume of Yakutate I'm editing. I certainly tried making the Chinese buns, steamed pork buns, when I was editing volume 19. I didn't use the Roman method described in the book because I didn't have the decades-old piece of starter dough match, but they still turned out pretty tasty. Okay, from Addicted to Curry, we tried to make pumpkin curry. Uh, Sam tried to make it. And they kind of give a recipe at the end of each volume. Yeah, they give a recipe at the end of each chapter based on what they actually made. And um, this seemed really interesting just because pumpkin is a very complex flavor and I like curry. But, uh, spoiler alert, it was disgusting. <laughs> I, I think it's it, mainly because we discovered that pumpkins in Japan are actually a specific oh, type like, of like... Kobocha? Yeah, and I went out they and... They wanted like an acorn squash. Yeah, they wanted a squash, and I thought they meant an actual pumpkin, and it was January or February when I was doing this, so I couldn't get them. So I got like pureed pumpkin in a can, which has all these weird preservatives and gross stuff like that. And so I cut everything up. It, this was like a two-hour endeavor, by the way. Um, you're supposed to cut a bunch of stuff up, and then cook it, and puree it in your blender. And then you have to strain that, and I got to skip some steps because you have to cut up the pumpkin. And then they wanted like dried chilies and all these vegetables, and then you're supposed to cook the curry and the sauce separately and eat them together. And it was just, it was awful. It was not good. None of the flavors melded together. And um, I, I, it's just based on ingredients that they have over there that I couldn't find over here. Which is a serious problem. We're lucky enough to live in, uh, no one I live in New York City, so we live near a bunch of Japanese specialty stores. So it's fairly easy, although somewhat expensive, to find like esoteric ingredients. A lot of times, like, um, translated cookbooks will have uh, different kinds of like uh, substitutions you can make. If you want to read, if you want to get more addicted to curry recipes, uh, not without necessarily reading the translations, then you can, on the MagaCast, they used to make a curry a week kind of thing. 
So if you look for, search for the manga cast online, and if you look for his tag, Manga Curry no Maki, you can find his own like sort of audio curry recipes. So now we're going to talk about Kitchen Princess. Kitchen Princess is the super amazing, ridiculous shoujo manga about kind of the same thing. But this girl was an orphan. Her parents were master uh, like pastry chefs. They died in some car accidents when she was young. Now she's attending this elite academy where everyone has a specialty, and her specialty it comes up here. She's also trying to meet the pudding prince, this guy who gave her a pudding spoon in Hokkaido when she was young. So she has a perfect tenth sense of smell and taste. So she can exactly, without even tasting anything, like she can tell from the smell of this tea exactly like where it's from. I should have done this differently. My screen is too small to see what the thing is. This taste, is, okay, but what it's really about, and what I really love when this happens in manga or whatever, like, is basically this, crying while eating. Emotional eating. There's also really good, uh, there's a website, cryingwhileeating.com. But just any food that's so great that it just makes you burst into tears, slow, you know, tears while eating it is really great. Okay, so in the end of Kitchen Princess, there's a lot of really great translated uh, recipes uh, with maybe, you know, certain levels of detail. Uh, but I did learn how one really great thing, how to, this is like saying how to get um, cabro out of the sacks that it comes in, which is a bit difficult. And it has a variety of different, like, difficulty levels by the recipe, so some of them are much more difficult than others. I tried to make, oh, I haven't gotten that part yet. Okay, so they make a really common Japanese dish that's uh, Neapolitan spaghetti, which is sort of a Japanese comfort food, where you essentially make spaghetti noodles like you normally would, and then you add in like a bunch of bell peppers, and usually there's sausage involved, and then you kind of like stir fry it after you do it. So we tried a couple different versions With of that. Ketchup. With ketchup. It's a big point. Ketchup and Worcestershire sauce. It, it sounds gross, but it's really good. It turns out it's good. But I tried to make the Kitchen Princess one, and it didn't quite turn out. I had to make a lot of adjustments. And I added a lot of extra vegetables. Um, it wasn't like the recipe called for only like two tablespoons of ketchup or whatever, and it needed a lot more ketchup than that. And I think I ended up adding like regular commercial spaghetti sauce at some point. Um, to make it healthier, I tried it with uh, whole wheat pasta and to cut down on the amount of oil in the ingredients. I always like counting calories. I used to um, be, I'm a Weight Watchers Lifetime member. I lost 60 pounds and like now I'm keeping the weight off for like three years. So that's always a big concern for me, like uh, holding me back in some forms of baking and cooking where it's like, how much oil, how many eggs, my god. Um, who we go next? Oh, so then Sam tried another Neapolitan uh, spaghetti recipe. Yeah, I just found it on about.com. Uh, I pretty much did the same thing, just cut up some peppers. Uh, mine was really just uh, bare bones kind of cooking, but it actually ended up being really good. The ketchup cooked and it was really sweet on the noodles, so if you don't really like sweet foods, uh, don't eat it or just add a bunch of Tabasco sauce. But um, I fed it to a bunch of my friends and they, they all thought it was really good. And it's a really simple, kind of easy thing to make, very cheap, just on the go. Yeah, it doesn't really take that long. I used um, frozen bell peppers from Trader Joe's to like cut the thyme, but I think the yeah. fresh ones would probably taste a lot better. And they the grease from the sausage is probably The grease from the sausage is good if you throw a bunch of garlic in there and just let that steep for a while, it's pretty good. Once you want to Americanize it, you could cut up hot dogs and put them in there. It would be like hot dogs and macaroni and cheese, crunchy. Um, okay, you have notes. And what's the next one? Chicken uh, another ketchup dish. Um, it sounds gross, but the ketchup, when it cooks off much like alcohol, is actually really, it brings out a really nice flavor. So this was, um, this is kind of like Neapolitan, or the Neapolitan spaghetti stuff, but with rice, and you bake it. So we stir-fried a bunch of chicken and cabbage and vegetables and stuff like that, and we 
put that all in a pan, and then you make this like white sauce with milk and flour, and then you cook rice, you stir fry the rice with the vegetables, and you put that all in a baking pan, and you pour the white sauce in it, and then you're supposed to toast it for 10 minutes in your oven. And uh, it took a little bit longer than 10 minutes. We actually had to confection cook it for 20, but it ended up being really tasty and really surprisingly good. Uh, so that's definitely something I would try out. It, keep in mind, a lot of this stuff sounds kind of gross and weird, but it's actually really, really good. Yeah, the ingredients combined in a surprising way. I also tried to make the cocoa scones and fruit after. Um, the cocoa scones were the easiest thing that I made because uh, it has very few ingredients. You just kind of measure them out and it's hard to go wrong. Although the recipe that's given in Kitchen Princess um, says it makes like six scones or something, and it only I only made like four and a half. Like. So it's a little off in terms of, I mean, I, I was cutting them really small, like I have a really small cup to like, yeah. to use as a cookie cutter, and it was still like, still only like four skins. But they were delicious, no, I ate them, what'd you think? They were, they were great. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the, the size difference maybe, because American. they're, yeah, American portions. They, they said to use a cup, we had this tiny cup, anyway. It's an American cup. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Japanese cup. And they have a hot chocolate recipe that, uh, in one volume they, talk about how to make this one like hot lemonade is how they translate it and that's a weird translation of a Japanese product that is always around in, Jap in Japan in the winter. It's this like vitamin lemon drink that you drink hot, you can get out of vending machines, you can get it at 7-Eleven or whatever in these little packets. I was really glad when I finally found some in the city, it's just filled with like vitamin C and stuff. It's a strange kind of idea, but it's kind of like drinking a hot tea when you think you're getting sick or whatever. But they give a recipe for how to make it not from a packet, uh, which Sam tried. Uh, basically what you do is you just squeeze the juice out of the lemon, put honey with the lemon juice in a, a cup, and then you just pour hot water into it. Uh, my only suggestion for this is the recipe calls for half a lemon, and this is to taste um, preferences, but I used a whole one and the flavor was actually a lot stronger. So it's a really refreshing drink, especially in the winter if you're getting a bit of a cold or you just sort of want to relax. It's a really nice, nice drink. And I also try to make, um, so in terms of the sort of diet food, uh, there's fruit auger, which is used in a key recipe, and a key story point in Kitchen Princess, where she wants to make a dessert that will make her model friend happy, and her model friend's like, I can't eat desserts because that's way too many calories, which is certainly an experience I've had. So auger is supposed to not have any calories, and it's made of seaweed or something. It's, it's kind of this gelatinous, it's like a clear jello in the end. It doesn't quite taste like jello. Um, so I, I looked around to find some auger, and it wasn't that easy to find. That bag was like $17 at Whole Foods, so I passed that up. But $8.50 plus shipping for this other kind of auger was no good. So finally I went to the Japanese specialty store and they had loads of They didn't have the flake kind of auger that Kitchen Princess talked about. They only had these weird blocks. So we'll measuring it out. Town. Yeah, I should go to Chinatown. But I, then I'd have to know, think about New York City, like you can shop for Japanese ingredients at Chinese or Korean stores, but then it's really useful to know the Chinese and Korean names for them, which Wikipedia is great for. I have searched for many times for like long onions, uh, which is like a Japanese thing that looks like a between a leek and a scallion in size. And if you know when you go to Koreatown's grocery store like what the Korean name is for it in English, then you can look for it. Um, so I broke apart the flakes and I put them in a cup and then it called for like a can of fruit. So I found like a Japanese can of fruit because I didn't think canned fruit in America would quite work with it. And it, the, the can of fruit didn't have the calorie count on it. And if it's canned in syrup, that's a lot of calories. So this so supposedly healthy dessert, probably not that great. Anyway, when you they say you boil the auger like you would like uh, if you were making jello, where it has to dissolve completely, it really has to dissolve completely, or the end result is a horrible mush. 
uh, which I found out on the first attempt. Oh, and I have like a Tetris ice cube tray that I made the fruit agar cubes in instead of a regular ice cube tray. And so then you cut it apart, but mine kind of was mushy and horrible at this point, because you make one batch of the agar with uh, milk and then one batch without milk. Um, and like it just kind of turned into this mush. What do you think of this one, Noah? Slimy. Also, I, I don't I don't cook, but I, I do the dishes. And uh, let me tell you, this was like slowly boiling the blob, as like bits and pieces sort of sloughed off and sort of slithered away. We only had it once. No, actually, I made it again when I went around and I made sure to uh, boil the flakes completely, and then it worked out much better. It turned into a more solid, like kind of jello thing. Here, I served it with fresh fruit instead of canned fruit because that was much healthier and better taster. Okay, competitive cooking vlog. Iron Walk John is an amazing long series about just Chinese cooking. I mean, John is a Japanese chef, and he's kind of an anti-hero. He's sort of evil, but you're I don't, you're kind of cheering for him to win, like, sort of. But he does really, like, bad things, like, gives drugs to the judges at one point, and they're kind of tripping out, and he uses very, like, underhanded, he sometimes uses underhanded methods, but sometimes he's, like, it's just really ridiculous. When he loses, he gets really sad, and then you feel really bad for him. He just starts like crying. I'm still missing chunks in the middle of the series, so I haven't done the whole thing. Here's the thing where he's making a grotesque panel where he's making something out of uh, chicken blood or pigeon blood. He's draining the pigeons, kind of, and he's licking a knife. He just has like this devil-like appearance. Um, here's another one where he, they cut open these this kind of chicken pie to find out what's inside, and it's like, oh no, I guess I got that one out. Sorry, the panel's really small in here, so it's a little What happened to the eggs? Oh, maybe I shouldn't have cut that panel out. Anyway, in the end of the uh, book, they're doing like food of the future, and there's this amazing competition where he makes this like fluffy mountain of stuff, and it's food for people of the future who don't have teeth or whatever, and it's great. It's like eating a eating mist. A cloud. Like the tasting descriptions are really funny. Yes, it's like eating a cloud or a mist, but even. <laughs> Even if you miss the meat, it should have given it some texture. That's one of the other highlights of food manga, is the descriptions are ridiculous, and it's awesome. Oh, a lot of Japanese television, it's worth noting at this point, is uh, about eating and tasting food. Like, Iron Chef, Iron Chef in Japanese, like, when you watch in America, it seems like this crazy show. Like, it's so out there that, like, it really caught on here. But in Japan, like, there are tons of cooking shows. Like, we watched this one show when we were there, and it was like, which sushi will the old man order next, kind of, because there's, there's a way, which, that's what our Japanese friend translated it as, where like, there's a way that you're supposed to order sushi, like a certain order, and if you're ordering it a la carte. The way you order it says a lot about your personality. Right. Don't order the eel so. first. That's the only thing I remember. Why is that? <laughs> I don't think that taste of the eel will ruin the other flavors for you afterwards. Something like that. But the eel is very rich. And it means you're stingy. So that happens in like whiskey tasting too. You don't taste the super peaty whiskey first because it kills your taste buds for everything that's after. Oh, I don't know. We'll have to, we have a lot of slides, so I'll come back to <laughs> So then I like the next chapter in this after the cloud dish, it lacks the crunch. So at the end of between different Iron Walk John chapters, especially at the end of the series, there's like these one-page bizarre recipes that are not presented in a normal recipe way. Instead it's like a dialogue that they're teaching their assistant how to cook something. So they have this weird like back and forth. About, and it has a strange kind of story set up, and then they give a recipe at the bottom. And I feel really bad, like, I know DR Master had to, like, replace their translator at one point because it's hard enough to just translate Japanese and English and cooking, and that's fine. But this is translating the Japanese names of, like, Chinese dishes. So there's this other kind of layer of translating that's really hard to do. So, so for some of the recipes in Everwalk John, I appreciate, like, the effort that went into translating these things. I, I appreciate the cooking. We can take a bite out of that. It's crazy. All right. 
So I tried to make this turnip soup. Unfortunately, I bought the turnips like way out of season. It calls for like dried mushrooms, and the ones that I got were like way too small. Um, it called for slab bacon, which I could not find. Like I ordered, I tried to order slab bacon on I, a bacon cut to a certain thing on, you know, like fresh wreck, and it just didn't really did not work out. This was supposed to be the slab bacon. It was still sliced bacon again. Um, and you keep the turnip peels. I peeled turnips that were like way too small. Carefully skinned some turnips. I tried to. That's obviously not the right width, and it didn't really work out. But this soup was it's incredibly greasy and filled with all this like bacon fat. But it was tasty. <laughs> I'm sure it was like a million points if you're counting calories. <laughs> but it was also extremely filling. Later I tried again and I found like larger turnips that were more in season. I never got the bacon quite right, but I did notice them in a cream grocer. Here's like the turnips and turnip green seasons. And I was making this like in March. So it was like nothing was available. Um, so I modified it a little bit. And uh, I couldn't find turnip greens at all, so I ended up using dandelion greens. But actually, that was tastier than when I finally did try it with turnip greens. And the dried chili peppers, and I don't even know what talking All right, so I sliced up the skins, and then you stir-fry them. And that turned out really well. Like, because the, these two recipes were in the same volume. Like, they did the turnip soup recipe and then the turnip greens recipe. The idea being you bought turnips with greens, and now you use both, which is not what I did at all. Um, and then I tried another thing of the scallop dish that calls a 1.4 ginger extract. They don't mean ginger extract. I'm pretty sure they mean like, you know, crushed ginger or something like that. And this just tasted weird. I also got totally the wrong kind of peppers for this. Uh, instead of getting like the smaller Japanese like peppers or some other kind of American uh, pepper along the thing, I ended up getting these Korean peppers that made it so uh, hot it was difficult. <laughs> and the kind, of sea sc the kind of scallops they were using, I wasn't really sure like, if they wanted like Atlantic or the big Pacific kind. Um, and bean sprouts, they demand that you take the heads and tails off bean sprouts, which is like this labor-intensive thing. And it's, there's a really long, there's a one-chapter story in Oceanbow about this, about a boy removing the beans, like heads and tails, because it's supposed to make this huge taste difference. I think it's a lot of labor, and for the most part, like only if you're for some special occasion, otherwise it doesn't make that much difference. And like the, you thinly slice the carrots, and mine just was not turning out like the picture. Like no matter how thin I julienne the carrots, there's just no way this was happening. So it was sort of a failure. I guess I've got like the... Okay, so then I made a crab meat thing. I'm kind of getting tired. Iron walked on. Let's just skip ahead to like the next bit. Okay, Iron Chippenly. There's an Italian uh, manga that's not translated called Bambino. There's also a... He's <laughs> trying to be a great, uh, you know, Italian chef. Here's some scenes from Bambino. Where he's cut his hand by accident in the kitchen, and then the pretty bad cut. He's slapped by a supervisor. How could you be so careless? But they all get yelled. What? They all get yelled at. He cuts his hand, and they're like, "You're you're a jerk." And then the boss is like, "You also." <laughs> it's been adapted into a live action drama that stars the guy who was in Honey Ori Dango. So I watched more episodes of the drama than I did of like reading the manga. That guy is super cute. The show is perhaps not that great. Um, so we tried another. Uh, King Armor moderate curry from Addicted to Curry. So Sam, you did this one. No, I didn't. No, you didn't? No. Oh, so we just had like a translated recipe. Oh, that's right, the River Steve's tried this one. Uh, I think I just want to talk about Vaishnava. It's just like beef curry. It looks really good. Oh, the point on this one is to wear rubber gloves. So, oh, <laughs> it's like fire hot. Yes. And okay, cooking pot. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, cooking pot. Great. So, Cooking Papa, according to me, is the fifth longest manga in Japan. 
There's 94 volumes long. There are 151 episodes of anime from 1992-95. And there was an upcoming live-action drama that probably already took place because uh, this panel was from a few years ago. I have the opening of Cooking Papa, show. But he's got delicate enough hands to like cook all this food. He's the ultimate provider. Yeah, he's he's the Uber man. <laughs> this is insanely popular. It's, right, it's yeah. so super popular. It just seems like a happy show about everyday life. And it's so simplistically drawn too. Yeah. Okay, but so for something a little more manly than that, well, not or less manly, I'm not sure. Yeah. There's competitive eating. Competitive eating. <laughs> This won the Excellence Award in 36 Current Minutes, shit, whatever, Association Award, Neon Manga. Okay, another award. It is 21 volumes long. You can find it at Kinokuniya here in the city. I think along the back wall is a really long series. I'm going to show just a few panels from the opening where it's lunchtime in the crowded city. This poor seller man only has a few dollars in his pocket. He notices a line of people. What's, what's going on? There's a, an eating contest going on inside, and he realizes if he can finish a certain number of bowls in less than the time limit, that it will be free. And he's like, oh good, I can eat lunch for free. Doesn't quite work out, and the person winning the competition eats a lot more than he does, and then he, he's inspired to train to become a competitive eater. In each cover of this series, it's like a different kind of food that he's competitive eating. Okay, there's competitive tasting. Oyster Shoka Gourmet. In Japan, it's over 102 volumes long, and still going. There are 102 episodes of anime from 1988 to 1992. I've only never seen like one or two episodes of it fan sub, but there are a lot of clips from it, on, or it's raw on YouTube if you go looking. Um, there are many made-for-TV movies of it, and at least one theatrical film from the 70s that I would really love to see, although it's probably really bad. So what is Orchimbo is about? Orchimbo is about a 
food critic for a newspaper that's writing their 75th anniversary uh, edition of the newspaper. They're writing something called the Ultimate Menu, which is, I still am not sure what that entails, but it means that he goes around with his coworkers and tries super delicious foods from every kind of category and every sort of dish to include on the menu. And they don't really say if they make it on the menu or not. It's yeah. an ongoing thing because it became so popular that like, it was only going to be so many volumes, but then it was so incredibly popular that the author kind of drops that premise and is just sort of like, it's going on forever. There's always looking for the ultimate menu. Um, here's a few scenes from a Japanese one that isn't uh, in the translating the American one where they're eating a really great looking strawberry pie and strawberry tart. Um, so a lot of Oishinbo's, Oishinbo, of course, like any shonen hero, his father is the greatest food critic of, in all of Japan. And so he's estranged from his father who often shows up and like defeats him horribly. Like, no matter what the competition is, his father always wins. He just comes in and he's like, you don't know, you, you never know. And he's like, I tried so hard. Like, he hates his father because his father like, his, kind of made his mother like, cook herself to death, in a way. Yeah, not literally. Not literally. She, literally. But he just kept being like, this is horrible dinner, and kept sending it back and sending it back. And so she would jive from the strain and the stress of cooking for this man who's like the ultimate. So the father's kind of a villain, and he's sort of cheering for Oishimo and his uh, sidekick. But he's also a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's not a jerk guy. Most food critics are jerks. That's true. So here they're tasting uh, some gyoza, and I like the descriptions here. Where it's like, I love the texture of the skin. It just slides right into your mouth. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> It's grosser when like an old man says it. It feels as if the skin's caressing my tongue and lips. <laughs> this is That's why I read Oishimo uh, for great tasting uh, things. So then by steaming it, you get an extremely sensual texture. It's very terrifying. So here are the different kinds of volumes of Oishimo, which are sort of grouped by cuisine. The first volume uh, is about Japanese cuisine, and then there's one about sake, which is really like. They're really down on themselves in the sake volume about Japan and like national identity and what it means to drink sake. It's a really patriotic volume. Yeah, that's a big theme throughout Ocean Boat. Oh, that's true about that what Everything means. makes them feel Japanese and why they're so proud to be in this country. Yeah. Especially in the rice one, which we'll get to. There's the ramen and gyoza one, is a really good one. That's where I took the gyoza slides from. The fish and sashimi one, uh, there's a vegetable line that has very different. I put down the Oishiba a la carte was kind of a reprint of the series in Japan. Like, it was arranged sort of like this series, but they had really different covers. Uh, so I'm going to note sort of the difference. But I think that the Viz picked these covers so they could tell, like, so they could sell it to non manga readers. Like, this, you know, this is going to be a comic, but it's about food, or they're giving you what's inside. I think it's sort of like the uh, vertical covers. Which, this almost seems like something vertical would print. Oh, so at the end of the panel, if you stick around, we have a bunch of cookbooks from Vertical that they've given for the panel, so you can learn about Japanese cooking from the Irish Chef Chinese cookbook. And so we have a few of those. So The Joy of Rice One is also another very patriotic volume of Oishinbo, because rice is so ingrained in Japanese culture, and they talk a lot about the different kinds of rice and Japanese rice. There's a big story arc with uh, some American consulate that comes in that wants to sell them rice from California and like the government politics behind it and all this stuff. Yeah. But it really makes you want to eat onigiri by the way. <laughs> they do. We try to. Oh yeah. Izakaya pub food is a little bit difficult because like izakaya, there are a lot of izakayas in New York City, but if you live outside of New York, it's a little, it's a stranger dining experience. It's like tapas, but Japanese food that you eat while drinking, uh, drinking beer. So the vegetables volume, which we try a recipe from, that's a really good one. There's a lot of stuff in it about organic farming that kind of it gets a little preachy at times, but not too preachy. We wanted to find something out. So in this volume of Washington. They go. They are not satisfied with cabbages or something. They're on. They're on some cabbage mission, and they go to the countryside with uh, the father, and they're trying cabbages straight out of the earth. They're gonna bite. They bite into the core, 
and the organic cabbages, they're like, wow, it's, it's amazing, it's like fruit, it's sweet. And so we were like, okay, I'll try this. I went to Whole Foods and bought an organic cabbage and no, it bit into the core. <laughs> it did not caress my lips and thumb. <laughs> <laughs> it did not yell out. <laughs> we, we did this panel at Anime Boston, and someone suggested in the audience that the timing of the difference between what we did and what the people in the book did was they picked a cabbage directly from the farm and cut it up right there and ate it because yeah. the sugar in uh, vegetables changes like the longer if you ship them or if it's a different time of day. Like my grandparents uh, run a sweet corn farm. And the farm, what you do is you pick the corn and eat it the same day, but you have to pick the corn before noon when uh, everything heats up. So I don't like eating corn in the city because I know it's like, it's already been over one night and it's not like super fresh. Even at the farmer's market, they might have picked it like the day before just because of the logistics of shipping in. Um, so I tried, and this is one of my most, this is the most successful thing I've cooked for Mami so far. I'm not a big fan of asparagus, but their advice on this like asparagus uh, cooking is excellent. And this is from the vegetables farm. Got some closer up things. They have, they made a kind of walnut paste out of daichi, and I'm, I'm too lazy to make my own daichi broth. But that's a key thing in Japanese cuisine. They always are talking about like how to make daichi and blah blah. And I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but um, you can just get dashi. Okay, dashi. I knew. Okay, so dashi. You don't have to make it with like combo and bonito flakes, and like it's a really complicated process, and there's straining involved and boiling water. Maybe no big deal for Japanese housewife. I don't have that kind of time. So I just bought the instant kind. It's the same equivalent you buy like chicken bouillon, like dashi instant. It's kind of that similar thing. I never know how much to use because I don't know like, the equivalent, but I just kind of guess. And I knew I, I know I did it wrong if it's too salty. So the ocean boat volume like suggests like straining the only boiling the asparagus while well, cutting off the pointy bits of the asparagus, like the things on the side, and then like boiling it only for a little while. Then you have to, instead of rinsing it or anything, you fan it to dry it off. And I felt, I happened to have a fan that I got for free from some other event. And like, I felt kind of like an idiot, like pampering, like asparagus, like, <laughs> if I can like feed it grapes next, like one at a time. <laughs> but, uh, but it worked amazingly well. Like I really just like boiled asparagus, but this fanning it off to cool it is like the, if you run cold water over it, it just takes the flavor right out. So this was like totally amazing. And you don't have to cut the things off the side. Like, I tried this several, I did this many times after this. Like, this is now the main way I will cook fresh asparagus because it was so effective. But you don't really have to shave the things off. That's just like extra work. Um, the, the walnut paste, maybe it would have been better if I did know what I was doing with Ashi, but uh, it was okay. It was kind of weird tasting. And like, the recipe in the book serves a, makes a lot of servings if you use all of the stuff that they say. At least four, but we ended up eating a lot of it for dinner like the same night. I think the, the paste kind of kept in the fridge for a day, but not very long. It's the kind that you want to make fresh, which is a big key in, part in Japanese cuisine. Um, I also tried to make like another recipe from Oishinbo is just the very simple sea green pine skin style, and there's sea green kamishio style. And I couldn't do the pine skin thing, because I only found, I eventually found a kind of sea green at a Japanese grocery store. I think they're always seasonal. Um, they used to have like celebrations and stuff, but I finally found some, and I tried to, cut it up in such a way like they, so the way they do it in the book, I should have included the panels where they're doing it in the story. You don't salt it directly, because that would ruin the meat. Instead you like get paper, and you wet the paper with a spray bottle that's filled with like salted water, and then you put salt like under the sheets of it and make a little envelope. I felt very Iron Chef making a paper envelope or something. And then you wrap it in uh, saran wrap and put it in the fridge. And then you have to cut it in a certain way. And the book doesn't really tell you that well how to cut um, sashimi. So I had to look on, and this is great, it's like the saving grace of uh, cooking at all is YouTube. 
I didn't know how to cut sashimi, so I'm like, how do I cut sashimi on YouTube? And like a bunch of videos showed up. So I watched a bunch of videos about like how to cut it against the grain. And I've talked to a lot of like guys my own age who normally wouldn't be the sort of guys who cook, and they are also like, yes, the internet is learned taught me how to cook. I, it's like internet. How do I cook corn in the oven? Like how long? Like the internet is filled with wonderful like answers to these. But I like to compare a lot of sources yeah, just in case. But, but, you know, but there's a really good uh, internet cooking show that's um, cooking with dog. It's a Japanese cooking show that has like oh, yeah. English. And the dog just kind of sits there. Yeah, and the dog kind of creeps So this was okay, but I think it would have been better if I needed a fish a little fresher. I don't know, it was weird. And it was like a lot of sashimi for a few people. What did you think of it, huh? Uh, it was okay. Um, it still tasted fishy. Yeah, I, I think I did something. That's a real problem, I think, with that recipe. I think right? I did it wrong. Like, I got it the day before or something. It should be the same thing. Maybe. Is there a staff? Can we get more water? Uh, the person in the back? We're very thirsty. Can we get another pitcher of water, please? Okay. So, Sam, you tried the joy of, a recipe from the Joy of Rice language. Yeah, there's a recipe in the front that uh, is scallop rice, which is a really interesting and creative and fun recipe to do. This was probably the most fun recipe I had, and the result was a little bit mediocre. Uh, what they called for you to do is to get fresh scallops and wash them up in salt water, and then create a mixture of soy sauce, sake, and I guess... Yeah, it was just soy sauce and sake, actually. And you're supposed to boil the scallops in the soy sauce and sake, and then after they're fully cooked, you separate them and take the broth, and then you, instead of using water to boil the rice, you use the broth to boil the rice, which is really interesting and brings out the flavor of the scallops really well in the dish. This dish just made me realize that I don't really care for scallops. So... Um, but it, it was really interesting, it's easy and fun to make, and if you really like that kind of flavor, then this is something that would be great just to show to people and do. I asked the, um, the editorial manager at Viz like, a little bit about the translation of the Oishinbo recipes, and she did make all of the recipes from the Oishinbo volumes, and felt obliged to, she felt obliged to test them in order to test the adaptations for the US editions. She's like, it was a set phrase I made purely for the sake of our readers. I'm making it clear in no way that I was driven by my addiction to Japanese cuisine, nor was I using the excuse of work in order to satisfy my gluttonous cravings at all. Sadly, my professionalism did not extend to photographing the evidence, which quickly disappeared. Um, so she talks about two common issues, editor space when adapting foreign recipes are the ingredients and the techniques. Fortunately, staple Japanese items like tofu and soy sauce are easy to come by now, but lesser known ingredients like sancho and chuka soba are not available outside of specialty stores in urban centers. So for the latter, I had to provide possible substitutions with items that might be easily found. The second, and very the tougher issues technique, or more exactly, the assumed knowledge of the level of the readers. The recipes in the Japanese editions of Oishimbo quite naturally assume that the readers would possess a certain level of familiarity with the basics of Japanese cooking skills. When she adapted the... And that this cuts off, like something when I change this file to the font. Anyway, she says how she doesn't assume that the American readers know how to cut sashimi, which is true, and tries to give a couple pointers in the notes that weren't in the Japanese edition, so we would know how to do it. And the hardest part about editing Oishinbo, though, was reading it. And from what she's been told, it, it also makes you really hungry. Luckily, she has some miso soup and stove in right now. Anyway, here's a good panel from a non-translated volume of Oishinbo where he kind of goes on a rampage, stringing wild turkey. <laughs> that destroys the editing office. And uh, here's some other like, non-translated ones. <laughs> There's something with the U.S. and like a tank and I don't even know. Shark? Shark, yeah. Okay, 
Here's one. Uh, uh, we're just gonna we've only got like five minutes left, I think. Let's go till two thirty. Two forty-five. Two forty-five. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, okay. Then we've got. I don't have to super rush. This one is about. Um, this is a, this is a ramen manga, just about ramen eating. And it's, they take to to they go the guy in the story goes to real ramen restaurants and kind of reviews them. So it's sort of a food review manga, but there's also a narrative going on where it's about a truck driver who actually like hits a guy and he like feels really bad and he can't like pay him off or make it up to him. And so he's like, I'll tell you what I can do to make it up to you um, your injury. I'll take you to the best ramen restaurants. In Japan, so they go from one ramen restaurant to the next, and then the guy he hit ends up just kind of turning into like his whatever like truck drivers have like a sidekick, like you know, <laughs> so, oh, someone who goes with him. What's it called? Um, I don't know. You read the ramen simpanji, you know. Anyone else? Like Tampopo, yeah. Oh, Tampopo is a great movie about ramen. If uh, you can find it on DVD in America, which I highly recommend. It. Here's the here's a truck of rum. I think I have the whole incident. He doesn't see the guy, and then there's just a lot of great shots of ramen. Um, and they list like the recipes and stuff. Where they're so excited about ramen, <laughs> and they get the great tasting scene. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, ah! Is what he's saying there. And then, <laughs> it's a crime again. Crime while he hangs out with tears. That is Buddha and stuff. It's a spiritual moment. Um, so then they give you the real address and how to find it and the phone number of the place and the hours that it's open in Japan. So there's also a manga about wine. Yay. Hey. Wine specialty manga, La Sommelier by the same author as Sommelier, like the uh, not the, not the male version of Sommelier, and Bartender. Bartender's 13 episode anime series, which I sadly have not included. I could do a panel just about alcohol manga, it would be pretty good. So she's. Um, Wine something. I don't really know that much about it, but I think Tokyo was looking at it once. Um, I don't think they'll publish it now, though. It's a kind of current, but more importantly, Drops of God. Drops of God is about a guy who uh, he is the son of a really famous wine critic in Japan, and he doesn't even want to drink wine. Like he's so sick of his father's business that he works for a beer company as like a screw you dad kind of. Not even speaking of <laughs> then his dad unfortunately gets cancer and dies at the beginning of the story. And his dad leaves in his will, but a few months before his dad dies, he adopts this other dude who's like an actual wine critic as his son, and like as a second son. And the beer guy is like, uh, there's, they're set on a competition where they either one of them can inherit their dad's like $2 million like wine cellar library thing, like his wine collection, sorry. Um, but they have to like taste a series of wine and guess, like, guess what wine it is by tasting it no, wait, it's not by tasting it, by his descriptions. Yes. His father, in his will, left a series of descriptions of 13 types of wine, and based on his, like, tasting notes, they have to go and find what wine it is, and then present it to the, the lawyer of the estate, and t and present their guesses. Do, yeah. do you have any of the actual tasting notes in there? No. Okay, because they're, they're all extraordinarily metaphorical. It's like, I'm dreaming of an island connected to the shore by a bridge. <laughs> On the island is a small lean-to. I remember my childhood. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little more specific. The childhood one's a different one. But uh, in the, this is from the first chapter where there's a confused waitress who, she's screwed it up. She's got an important customer and the wine doesn't taste right. If you order this really expensive wine to show off to a client and she's like, what's gone wrong? And he happens to be dining nearby. He's like, I'll help you out. I know what's wrong. Give me the bottle of wine. And he like decants it in a super fancy way. And then she tastes it and it tastes totally different. Like the exclamation point. What does it taste like? A field of flowers. 
<laughs> suddenly transported here. It's like bottle, bottle shock. It's true. So uh, this manga also has tears. It's crying while drinking in this case. But um, what's, what it's known for is like... He's had too much. <laughs> this one finally, he understood what his father meant at some point. Anyway, um, there are really great descriptions of the wine in this one. Like, he drinks a wine that's like being at a Queen concert. <laughs> With Freddie Mercury's vocals, like, laughing above the baseline. Um, so this manga was... <laughs> So this one was incredibly successful in Japan. It was made into a live-action drama series that came out in 2009, Kamido Shizuku. Now, the lead actor, yeah, he's cute, but he can't really act. I get the feeling he's a model, and he's just not a great actor. The other the supporting cast tends to be a bit better, um, but it's, it's pretty funny. I especially recommend that the first episode is hilarious and awesome. It's also kind of from a beginner's point of view, because um, it's sort of like if you didn't know anything about drinking wine, the series is very educational. Like the first thing, will t the first episode tells you about vintage, and the second episode tells you about like pairings and that sort of thing. Terroir. Ter terroir, like they define terroir for you and tell you a lot about how wine is made. It's so successful that, in fact, um, well, first I'll show another scene from the drama. It has an actor in it who is in the Nodame Cantabile live action drama, who is great. He's got huge dreadlocks and plays a homeless person who buries wine like in these crates in the woods. It's really excellent. The series was so amazingly successful that um, it got exported to Korea and China, and then like because of this one manga series, wine became more popular in Korea, which apparently Korea has this importing thing where until 1981 they couldn't import foreign liquors at all. So there's not a big uh, history of wine drinking in Korea, but because of this manga, a lot of people were like, oh, now I feel like I know more about it, I can taste more of it. Wine sales skyrocketed. It got to the point where, um, because they always write, like the two, the people who wrote this series and other people who drew are like this pair of uh, wine collectors and wine connoisseurs. Eventually, like some of the French winemakers, it was translated into French too, because um, obviously it has to be in France, like it's about wine. So, but the French maker, like this was really recent, like from a few weeks ago, the French winemaker withdrew a vintage after the manga popularized one of the bottles in the series because he felt like speculators would invest it and like no one would be able to taste it, so now he's just not selling it at all. We immediately withdrew this vintage from our sale through, uh, through our agents across the world in order to avoid speculation because we wanted this wine, which had been chosen as a mythical wine, to remain within reach of everyone. Which I think is kind of contradictory, like now it's not really within reach of anyone. Yeah. Except for like people they know, I guess. Uh, whatever. Anyway. Um, so. <laughs> so is, this one, is this the one that was profiled in the New York Times? Yeah, it, it was in the New York Times, and it was in a couple other things where it was popularizing uh, certain types of wine. Like as soon as one the new volume of this manga would hit the shelves, wine sellers would like suddenly have crazy demands for the exact you know vintage and house they're recommending. Um, an English version apparently is coming soon. I've heard that someone is picking it up for America. I can't wait to read it because the live action drama was a little bit bad in it. But what do you what do you eat while enjoying a fine wine manga? This photograph is a uh, manga critic Jason Thompson uh, at a manga tasting party that he held where his friends were like, uh, you know, tasting the manga and smelling it and doing crazy things. Here he's braiding some, and that's my hint for what, what do you read next after wine manga. Manga about cheese. This one is called A Time for Cheese. It's just about, it's just about cheese. The different volumes about different kinds of cheese. It's kind of like educational. And actually, it makes more sense uh, now that I've spent more time in Japan because the Japanese don't eat a lot of dairy. The dairy section is always incredibly small, so cheese is kind of a weird subject for them. And it's very, it can be very expensive and not very easy to come by. Like, there are a lot of specialty shops in Tokyo, with, like in the basement of department stores where fancy stuff are, but like, cheese prices are incredibly high. Yeah. 
older folks, older, older Asian folks, yeah. they don't have cheese, but they don't have the enzymes. Yeah, they don't, unless there's a lot of lactose intolerance too, so it's just not like the kind of same milk and uh, cheese consumption. So, Time for Cheese runs in this magazine. Chat is a bit weird. <laughs> and here they're enjoying Parmesan. I love that page. And there's also an Ocean Bow volume, number volume 73 is just about different kinds of cheese, where they talk about how it's made and different kinds of cheese. And they're with that. But it's different from Cheese Magazine, I should put it. There, oh, here's my slide about Bartender, which is sort of out of place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bartender was adapted into a 13 episode anime series. I'm seriously considering the logo of this. My Japanese level is not great, but fortunately, a lot of the names of alcohol are spelled out in katakana, so it's, I can guess what they're talking about most of the time. Um, it's a really like slow-paced series. Uh, it's not available legally, but you can, you know, find it through the usual sort of means. But each episode is about a different. Each episode is about a different drink. Like there's one episode just about a margarita, and they make it sound really classy, which is really weird. They give like the history of the drink, and the bar that they drink at is like it has a huge oak door. There's almost no customers ever. Like there's no screens or anything. And like it's kind of a mythical bartender who knows without you asking what drink you need at that moment. Based on your emotional situation and family history. And so, yeah. so people walk into the bar and they're they, they have they have a problem, a deep problem in their life. And he knows. And he fixes them the drink and solves it. It's, it's actually very educational. It's, it's an awesome series, but, yeah. but that is the plot of every episode. And it's like one-off stories. It's very bad. Are the, is the, the wine, the girl who knows about the wine and the bartender, are they related at all in the series? <laughs> the yeah. Only in oh, the sommelier? Yeah. Oh, it's by the I mean, same it's author. The same. So yeah, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> It's the same author, so I don't know if it's a family. Because I haven't read Really Wayne. smart people who are all training to do this. What if that's Carl, the ogre in Who would know? Because he was reading Muscle Wayne. Alright, there's other manga about bars and drinking. This is uh, Lemon Heart, but, which Ed Chavez recommends, and I haven't read it, so I don't know much about it. Sometimes he's on his panel and he can tell you. Um, here's the end of the. The end of Jason Thompson's party where people are throwing up. Obviously fake. Uh, this is a manga just about. Uh, Petitier, like a pastry shop. This was almost licensed by Central Park Media, is my understanding, but I could be off on that. Where it's just about a woman who goes to work at a pastry shop, just kind of everyday pastry shop kind of life. So, a similar title for this The four volume manga by Kimi Yoshinaga, which is really excellent, um, which is mostly about baking, and maybe there's some yaoi involved, not very much. Um, yeah, but there's also a really drama series. It's really like a cross-genre sort of story that like almost anyone can enjoy. No, I didn't really like it though. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a crowd pleaser usually. Here's the rolled Christmas cakes that they have in one episode, the Bush, Bush de Noel, and they're, it's about being really excited about eating and tasting. So it looks so good, and it's like an arrow straight to the heart. <laughs> I like the blushing and sparkling like about food. It's like a love reaction from Shoujo Manga. And then just like eating it, they're just not quite crying. Almost. Here they're crying. Yeah, alright, super good. These guys have the tears there. And, oh, and you know, after the dessert, then clearly there's manga just about coffee. This one is Cafe Dream. I don't have the cover there anymore. But this guy is like obviously a huge coffee expert. He has like the percolator thing and kinds of stuff. This woman has a crazy reaction during the coffee, where she just sort of like passes out for a minute on the couch. I have no idea. Okay, someone, a friend of mine tried to make a croquembouche, croquembouche, 
Oh no, I'm pronouncing French or Japanese. Um, from Antique Bakery, she was inspired by the recipes. Oh, and Antique, these slides are horribly out of order, sorry. Antique Bakery was adapted to a live action film in Korea. So, and the guy at the end is a French actor, and he's a great reason to see this movie. Everyone in it is really attractive, it's a slapstick comedy, it's kind of all over the place. Because at the end, like, it's really, really funny, and then the end is like this crazy drama thing that's really serious. Yeah, the last <laughs> volume is all about a murder mystery. It's yeah, a murder crazy. mystery, child kidnapping, and it's like, what? Like, you don't really see that coming. You yeah, know, either. but it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. Like, it's kind of a jarring film to watch. And then uh, there is an antique bakery anime series that I think was streaming for free on Crunchyroll, maybe. That was just from the opening. But here's the Korkum Kush that she tried to make. I mean, no, no, that's not the one that she made. That's like, what they kind of look like. She made. She said this was really easy to make, but Gina's a really expert baker. Actually, she works at for second books. I don't think she's here. Yeah. Um, and then crossfit stuff. I think I'm almost at the end of this presentation. All right, eating weird stuff. So, Kyushoku Hunter is one of the like my favorite things that I found that I absolutely can't read, um, but it looks amazing. It is about like this group of. It's a real kind of documentary manga again about people who just go to weird to find and eat the weirdest foods they can find in Japan. I love like weird Japanese food, and this really suits my interest in like a crazy way. On the cover, they have like a variety of the different like crazy foods that they find, like a uh, whale miso cutlet burger, banana spaghetti, melon spaghetti. I think you can see the melon spaghetti on the left, or uh, cucumber Pepsi, an actual. Pepsi flavor in Japan, but it was a seasonal flavor, so you can't get it anymore. Like maybe one of these flavors. Celery knows what that'll taste. Celery Um, right down. Oh, there's like the uh, melon spaghetti on the bottom left, and a nacho parfait on the upper left. Delicious. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, nacho is like a cruel joke food. It's like fermenting soybeans that looks like. Uh, my friend calls it. Ogre snot, which is not an accurate <laughs> description. Like strings kind of dangle from it. But if you eat it like on Japanese people eat it like on spaghetti with soy sauce, and actually it's pretty good that way. Or uh, they'll eat it on toast, and it's really it's not bad. It's supposed to be something you eat for health, kind of, and you kind of need something else to balance out the flavor. Um, because it's crazy. You would never eat it on ice cream. Like that's just insane. But we'll get to the panels where they try it later. Here's some other like strange kinds of pizza and Finally, taste it. Oh, there you can see like the natto strings that I was talking about, like these gelatinous strings that just go back to the beans. Just covering his mouth. They're holding each other down. Like they have to. You have to do it. You can't back out. They're holding each other to this like horrible bear. He forces him to chew, helping him chew. But then it turns out it's pretty good. <laughs> the reaction at the end is there they go. It's all right. And then they tell you where you can find the natto burger. And the store hours and okay. Here's another one about train bento, just about train bento, where the characters in it like take a, the mangaka, go, it's a similar kind of setup where the mangaka goes somewhere with her friends and they're like 
doing something else about it. I think there's a guy who's, uh, it's his, his thing is to visit every single train station in Japan, he's a train otaku, and so the mangaka goes with him just to eat the food and then like write about it. Or I might have just conflated two different series, but I think you get the idea. So there's a lot of information about like the trains and like the individual train station. Oh wait, they adapted that one into an anime series. Like I only watched one episode sort of fan sub, but they had a CG train and the rest of it was really low budget. This is another like travel food um, manga that isn't translated, where they just travel to different parts of Japan and eat whatever the bento is that they serve on that train specifically. So they travel to like far flown places and give you a map. <coughs> Here's a close-up of the bento. Okay, and then game to the end, the really good stuff. Toriko just came out. Volume 2 is out. It is a sort of food manga parody showing super manly thing. Oh, I was going to replace these slides and I didn't. Sorry, like, this part doesn't make sense. It takes place in a crazy like fantasy world. Yeah, I didn't think this would ever. I didn't think this was going to be published in English, so unfortunately I have like the whatever piratey slide. But it is in English, and I meant to replace these slides for this conference. I own the first two volumes already. So Toriko takes place in a crazy like fantasy world where there are like fantastical creatures that you couldn't actually eat in real life, and there's sort on the, certain zones of the earth in Toriko's world are like danger zones that you can't go in or else your insurance will not your life insurance won't cover you anymore because the creatures are so dangerous. So there are different danger levels of animals that he's hunting, but he's hunting for the most gourmet animals available and selling them at the equivalent of the Tokyo fish market, which is very famous. But instead, it's like the crazy monster meat market. Um, so here, Toriko is a super manly dude, and here he's, his bait here is this giant dragonfly. So what is he fishing for in this case? Also his sidekick is this little dude, um, who gets smaller as the volume one goes on. This is what, this is what Toriko, this is like a typical lunch on a fishing trip. He knocks off the bottom of the bottle of Nature's Mark, downs the whole thing, follows it with like huge lobster tails, and then he's ready to go. Because, okay, now he, he has play on the line, so this huge crab, fish thing jumps out of the water, his like sidekick is really freaked out. And that's the, the sidekick's entire job is to freak out at every possible moment. Then a giant bird comes and steals the fish. Like it's this huge eagle thing. And you might think, oh no, no, Toriko has lost the fish. That is not the case. He slams the pole into the ground, killing the bird. <laughs> Although Toriko has a very hunting ethic, ethic about not killing things, and oh, sorry. He won't kill things One unless he eats them. He won't kill things unless he eats them, so we'll just rush through here. So it was elevator wire. That's how it didn't break. Here's someone made a fancy Toriko bento. Okay, this shows up in a lot of mixed vegetables, really disappointing. I like the knife panel, but we're out of time. There's some otaku cooking that I found in Japan. And you can get the manga cookbook, it's not very good. Oh, but you guys should come up and get, um, should we distribute We have a bunch right? of books. We have some vegetable ones, and appetizer like, stuff, noodle uh, things. Cookbooks. We also have business cards. Oh yeah, we have a few business cards. Thanks, thanks very much. It, uh, it's, it's really nice that uh, these, these manga have apparently really made an impact in the American market. Because the first time we did this panel, nobody recognized any of them. Oh, and this is like, um, really quick, this is the only, this is a Japanese cookbook I highly recommend. Um, the quick and easy Japanese cookbook, I learned a lot from it. It's really great.